1: Welcome, welcome. It's so good to be with you. Um, so good to be back with you. Um, when you love someone, you, you're honest with them. And, and I think that's true. I think if we were to ask a question that we all would desire in relationships, whether it be our significant other, our family, a friend, it's honesty, right? And so when you love someone, you're honest. Even when it's hard, uh, you love them. So you talk about even the hard things. And and through the life and teachings of Jesus, we see God's passion for a particular subject that, quite honestly, we don't like to talk about. We don't. But because God loves us, his children, he, he doesn't avoid the hard stuff. Jesus didn't avoid the hard topics. In fact, he, he spoke about this topic today that we're going to talk about most often, perhaps more than any other topic Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the topic of money. (laughs) So don't tune me out. Don't get up and leave. Don't pretend like you were supposed to be with the kids in Kids City today. Uh, To be true to God's word, just hang with me for a minute. Um, This teaching series and today's topic is really, really important. And if you give me just a minute, I think I'm going to show you why. If you are visiting with us today, hey, thank you for coming. We're so glad you're here. And I promise you, we don't talk about money all the time. In fact, we probably maybe once or twice a year will preach a topic like this, but I think you'll see why in the midst of our series we have to address this topic. We're in the midst of a series, as you can see on the screen, called The Talents. Uh, we've been kicking off this new year focusing on one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. It's called The Parable of the talents. And this this parable really asks a challenging question. The question is, what does God want from me? I don't know if you've ever asked that question, if you've ever thought about that question. What does God want from me? We have expectations of God, don't we? Whether we we say it out loud or not, we expect things from him. God, help me. God, heal me. God, please make it snow, right? Whatever our expectations are, we have them, but how often do we think of what, what God might expect of us. And so in this new year, we're asking the question. We started two weeks ago in this new year by talking about uh, time. Time is the great equalizer, isn't it? Because we may have different skills and abilities and resources, but all of us in here today have been given 24 hours in each day. We've been given our time and, and we're learning through this study and through this story of Jesus that God desires that we would use our time. Well, the time that we have is a gift, and God desires that we use it, yes, for his glory in our lives. God cares how we invest what we've been given. And so we began by talking about time, and today we talk about this topic of money. Uh, consider for a minute in the synoptic gospels. So that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the synoptic gospels alone, one out of every six verses talks about money. If you were to take the stories of Jesus, uh, there's 29 parables that we can find in the gospels. If you were to take all 29 parables and lay them out, of those 29, 16 talked about a person and money. So, so clearly Jesus had a lot to say about this. Uh, scripture offers uh, about 500 verses on prayer, uh, a little less than 500 on faith, and over 2,000 on Money And so just trust me for a minute that we're going to talk about a subject that mattered to God. We're going to talk about why it matters in the Word of God, why it mattered to Jesus in just a minute. But let's dive into our story. So we're going to be in Luke 19 today. This parable of Jesus, we began in Matthew's Gospel two weeks ago. We're going to look at it in Luke's Gospel. Uh, It's largely the same story, and we'll talk about some of the differences in a minute. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 It's on the screen behind me. Uh, It's also, in, of course, your your copy of Scripture or in our YouVersion event that we've set up online. This is God's Word, and these are the words of Jesus. Uh, While they were listening, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear. Uh, Listen real quick, the context is important. The context for this story is deeply connected to the anticipation of Christ's return. Um, They were asking, the people were asking Jesus, his disciples were asking all about his return, that Jesus is gonna come back again one day. So they had all kinds of questions. When's it gonna happen? How will we know? What signs will we see in response to that? Jesus doesn't answer any of those questions, but instead he tells this story, a story that instructs them how they should live. And so verse 12, Jesus begins the story. He said, a man of noble birth, went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants. He gave them ten minas. We'll talk about that in a minute. Put this money to work. Listen to this instruction, right? Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. And so if you remember two weeks ago, and you go back and listen as we kick off the series And Matthew's gospel refers to it as talents, thus the name of our series, uh, talents. But here in Luke's gospel, it's referred to as minas. Uh, Scholars believe a mina was equivalent to about three months of wages. And so interestingly, Luke's account gives some very specific instructions from the master. Put this money to work so each servant has been entrusted with something right it wasn't there they didn't earn it it wasn't wages it was a gift they've been entrusted with the master's money and they've been given very specific instructions put this to Work. Let's keep reading. Verse 14, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him. We don't want this man to be our king. Isn't this interesting foreshadowing that Jesus is telling here? Foreshadowing of what's to come for him. Of course, his, his crucifixion, right? But we keep reading. Uh, verse 15, he was made king, however, and he returned home. And he sent for the servants whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small manner, here, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. So if you're familiar with the story and remember the story from Matthew's gospel. There's some subtle differences. Some have suggested that this is a story Jesus told many times. That <laughs> Luke records it, Matthew records it, but Jesus probably told this many different times to many different audiences. It was such an important principle, such an important story that he told it many times. And the details here are very similar, but there's, there's a few discrepancies perhaps Uh, The servants receive the master's money and receive an award. But in this case, they're put in charge of entire cities because of their faithfulness. And as we continue reading, we discover really the difference. This story, yes, it's about the first two servants and their faithfulness. But this story, the reason Jesus tells this story is because of the third servant, right? So we get to that part of the story. Verse 20, then another servant came. And said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you. You're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you do not sow. And his master replied, I will judge you by your words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping uh, what I did not sow? Then why didn't you put the money on deposit so that when I come back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away and give it to the one who has 10. Sir, he already has 10. But he replied, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who do not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Wow. What a story, Jesus. <laughs> What a way to end the story. A harsh ending. We, we talked about this when we kicked off the series. This is a harsh story. This is a hard story. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you like to focus on the easier parts of it. But if you look at this story in its entirety, it hurts. It's hard. It's a hard word from Jesus. But listen, as a church family, we, we desire to hear the whole truth not just the parts that make us feel good, not just the, the verses we like to underline and put on our refrigerator, right? We want, we want God's whole word to speak to us. And so that's why we're, we're spending the time we are in the midst of this story. See, the issue of being faithful stewards of what we have, it's not just a suggestion. Many of us would have come in today and said, well, that's a good idea. But according to Jesus, it's not just a suggestion, it's a requirement with dramatic consequences. The hardworking, wise servants are rewarded, but, but the lazy, faithless servant receives the ultimate punishment. Listen, the purpose of this parable isn't for Jesus to be harsh. It isn't to try to blow our hair back and get our attention, but the purpose in a word of this story is about urgency. Urgency. Remember, Jesus is responding. You have to look at the context of the story. So Jesus is responding to questions about his return. In essence, his response in the story is what he's saying is, yes, I'm going to return, and I will judge and redeem and bring justice. So in light of that, how should you live? Because I am coming back again, how should you live? And that word urgency that word urgency speaks to this story. It's true that this story is, is more than money. That's true. We have built a series around unpacking the many implications to what Jesus is calling to us to in the story. But we can't ignore that this story, these instructions do have clear implications for our money. But before we talk about uh, what those implications are. Let's talk about the why. Anytime, anytime I preach about money, and I assure you, I much would have rather called in sick and let someone else stand up here and preach about money. It's not a topic that I enjoy speaking about, but I believe it's important because Jesus did. And so let's talk about what, what why. Why? Why did Jesus think it was so important? Why does he talk about it many times throughout the Gospels? Um, I, I believe Jesus knew how closely money is connected to our hearts. Don't take my word for it. Jesus said, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when Jesus was saying that in Matthew chapter six, he knew something about us. It was true then and it's true now that our affections follow after our treasures. What we treasure is where, what what our affections, where our affections lie. What we treasure is what we value. It's what we worship. So so when Jesus goes on to say you can't serve God and money, he was making it clear that for many of us, money becomes an idol. It becomes a God. It becomes something that we serve, not a tool or resource that we use, but rather a God, an idol that we serve, right? And, And so because of that, Jesus knew that this God of money, this God of consumerism, it steals our worship, it competes with our affection, and it ultimately leads to death. Let's be clear, money doesn't lead to death. That's not what Jesus says. He says the love of money, allowing money, stuff, to become our God, that is, that is what ultimately leads to death. But here's the thing. The thing is, is that this is perhaps one of the most pervasive forms of idolatry that exists even within the church. It is perhaps one of the most acceptable sins among believers. The idolatry of stuff and money and consumerism. We, we ignore it or maybe even build theology around it that convinces us God wants us to be wealthy. He wants us to, it's God's will to bless me so that I can have more, right? We've so convinced ourselves that this is okay and acceptable, and I think that's why it mattered so much to Jesus. In Jesus's day, many believed that material wealth was a sign of blessing, that those that were wealthy must be blessed by God. They must be loved by God. They must be favored by God. Look, at all that they have. And so Jesus is speaking out against that. Remember the story in Scripture, it's in Mark's gospel, where Jesus is there and and his disciples are with him and he's at the temple and he's observing many of the wealthy come and kind of lay down their extravagant gifts. They're kind of making a show of all that they have. Maybe it was so heavy as they're, I don't know what it is, but, but they're bringing their large gifts into the treasury, right? And that's not what moves Jesus's heart, is it? In that moment, he's not moved by thinking, wow, they must be really righteous. Look at all their, that's not it. You remember what moves his heart? It was the widow. The one who had so little, She, she had two small copper coins. And Jesus turns to his disciples, he turns and comments on her extravagant, generosity why because the others well they gave they gave out of their wealth out of their excess but she gave she sacrificed she put everything in all that she had is what mark's gospel says she she truly gave because for jesus it's not really about money it's not really about the amount if so he would have been much more blessed by those that had a lot to give that would have helped the temple treasury a lot more than her two coins right But that wasn't what it was about for Jesus. It was about her heart, their heart. And for many who claim faith in Christ, the love of money or this reckless pursuit of more has become our God. It goes unchecked. It's often accepted or even celebrated in our lives. And that's why it's such a big deal. That's why every now and then on a Sunday morning we have to talk about it. Because it mattered to Jesus. I believe it matters to the heart of God today. So that's the why, right? That's, that's why we have to start. Why a story like this is in scripture is because of that. Because our hearts matter to God. And God knew for me, I'll talk about me, I won't talk about you, I'll talk about me, how closely my heart is connected to my wallet. <laughs> when God has my wallet, when I give God permission, to, yeah, then he really has my heart. So we talked about that. Now let's talk about the what. Specifically, what are the implications of this story? There's a lot more I could say about uh, the whys of God's word and money and, and what Jesus says. Um, I've tried to, to create a foundation there. But let's look briefly at three implications that this story has for us. Um, the first, and I'm going to put it very simple on the screen. Uh, the first implication is this. Implication number one from this story is that we are rich, Maybe you've never used that word to describe yourself. Maybe you never will. Bear with me for a minute. You may not look at what you have in your life today and feel very rich. I understand that. I understand there's people in this room today. You really don't have a lot. Maybe money, this is a hard topic because all you can think about is what you don't have. Maybe you're in a really hard place Yes, compared to the world around us, yes, in America we have a lot. Yes, you know those things. But the truth is even beyond that, if we look at this story and understand the implications of Jesus, he's telling us clearly that God has entrusted his children with resources, with resources. And yes, Time is the equalizer, we talked about that, but, but everything else is different. And so while we might have been given different amounts, God might, has entrusted each of us with, with a different amount, different amount of money, right? The truth is, according to God's word and God's economy, we are, we are rich. We have been blessed, even if, even if you don't feel like you've been blessed with that much. Still, according to this story, according to God's truth, we have been blessed, and that's, that's a foundational implication. Um, you, may, you may feel yourself pushing back against that, maybe resenting that truth, but I would just ask you and invite you to take a step back from your thoughts and feelings and emotions and, and exhale for a minute and just consider the blessings of your life. Considering instead of all the things you don't have, consider today what you do have. And very quickly, I think you'll realize with me, wow, yeah, God, you have blessed me. God, you have provided for me. God, you have made a way for me in my life. It's so easy when we think about money to think about all that we don't have. And and the implications of this story is God saying, oh, but consider what you have been given. Implication number two of the story is that it's not really ours. This is the hardest one. We're going to spend the most time here because it's, it's against our nature. It's against how we think about our stuff, our stuff. That's how we talk about our stuff. But, But according to this story, this important story that Jesus tells, we have to think about it differently. It's ultimately in the story, right? It belongs to the master. He is entrusting them with his resources. He gives them specific instructions on what to do with what he has entrusted them with. And then they are judged Accordingly, that the truth here is pretty clear that, it, that it's, it's ultimately the master's. Ultimately, it belongs to him. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, right? James, the brother of Jesus, says every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. He understood that what we have is kind of on loan to us. We ultimately, we ultimately aren't the ones that get to keep it. It ultimately is his, and it's been entrusted to us. But this is a significant shift in our thinking, isn't it? Because from the moment we are born, we have this nature that says, mine. (laughs) I'm raising four kids, right? I love my kids, and I was just like them when I was, I can't just blame my kids, right? I was that way. No one had to teach me as a kid. My parents sit and sit down and say, okay, Adrian, mine. Say that word, mine, right? They're trying to teach mama, daddy, and kids say, mine, right? They didn't have to teach me that. You know, you know how it goes, right? You buy your kids French fries, and they sit down to eat, and you go to take one. No, my, right? Who taught them that, right? Nobody. It's in our nature. It's in our nature to see the things that we have, and, I, and it's me. I see it in myself, even as an adult, how quickly I can become so territorial and possessive of what is mine. It reminds me. Of those seagulls in the movie Nemo, mine, mine, mine. If you don't know what I'm talking about, take a look at this. And most of us, that's how we live our lives. Mine, 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 mine. Whenever I'm at the beach now and I see seagulls, I just start saying that. And we were at the beach this summer and this lady was walking by and she just looked at me so disturbed. Like, who is this man? Mine, 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 right? But that's, come on, that's how we live, right? And it's okay. That's, that's my default. Without the help of the Lord, without his work in my life, I live mine, 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 mine for everything, And that's why this is so hard for us. And that's why Jesus spoke so often because he knew the battle within us. I worked for that. I earned that. That's mine. And maybe that's why James, the brother of Jesus, also points to our life. Remember in James 4 when he talks about our lives are but a mist. What an appropriate Sunday to talk about that as we reflect and we remember on those in 2023 from our local church that passed away. Um, we value that, to take time to remember. We think that, that that's biblical, to take time to honor and remember. But as we do that, we reflect on our own lives and just think about how precious life is, how quickly life is but a mist. It's here and it's gone. And so uh, I'm reminded of that when I think about this idea of mind, mind, mind. mine, because I've never seen anybody... When they get to the end, be able to take any of it with them. In fact, at the end of their lives, all of those things that they thought were so important to them suddenly become not so important. I had a friend that we, I was talking about this message and he sent me an article. It was very interesting. It was a funeral home that's advertising now. Uh, when, When you're laid to rest, you can take some of your treasures with you. Some of your possessions with you. There was all of a list. Of course, it's like, you know, a photograph, a thing like that. But then they got really weird. You know, your favorite weapon, your favorite beverage, and then this one really got me. Uh, and there was like a, a description and you can now be buried with your phone. Like for those people that just love their, some of us in here are dying to get away from our phones. The last thing we want is to be buried with that thing, right? I thought that was really funny. I thought I'd get a couple jokes on that. Nothing. Man, this is a hard crowd, okay? But I thought about that, like, how silly is that implication? And I'm not, I'm not downing the, the things that we remember and the things that, but this idea that we, that we bury people now with some things. Here's your phone. Here's your favorite foods. Put it down in it, right? It's silly because we know none of that does us any good. We're not here anymore. We can't take it with us. None of the things that we cling to as mine, 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 mine will matter at all when we're amiss and we're not here anymore. And this leads us to my third and final implication of the story that Jesus tells, and that's this, is that we really can't keep it, but we can invest it. Remember what the master says in Jesus' story, put this money to work, (laughs) But the one that was lazy and wicked didn't do that, right? He hid it away. He is mine, mine, mine. He, he, he hoarded it. Maybe in fear. Maybe he was practical. But he didn't do that, did he? He didn't put it to work. He hid it away. Oftentimes, that might be how some of us appear with our stuff. The master was saying, I'm entrusting you with some of what I have for such a time as this. Now put it to work. Uh, One of the challenges that I have, if if I were you, sitting where you were, and you were up here, that would be kind of fun. I'll let some of you preach, and I'll sit down there. But if I were down there, uh, the thing that I feel often when I hear a message like this is guilty. I I don't think I'm wealthy. I, I get in the world standards that I've been blessed. I'm grateful for that. I've got four kids, we've got bills, just, it feels overwhelming at times, I'm not comparing, Where I, I just get it, this feels personal to me, and, and I hear messages like this, and oftentimes I read the words of Jesus, especially about my money, and I just feel guilty, I just feel like I try to be generous, God, I do, I, I, I give to the church, I support others in my community, I do that. But I hear messages like this, and I think about the words of Jesus, and I just feel guilty, and I don't know if there's anyone else in the room that might feel that way. But ultimately, as I was thinking this week, if you feel like that ever, or you do this morning, maybe you think that's my motivation. Maybe you think uh, the board said, Adrian, uh, we, we need a better offering this week. Get up there and make them feel real guilty, right? That was a good voice there too. Anyway, next service will think I'm way funnier than you guys are. But maybe you thought that's my goal, to try to make you to feel guilty, and I promise you it's not. In fact, if that's ever how you feel as you read the words of Jesus, or you sit in a message like this, I I wanna speak specifically to to you for a minute. I believe God's heart today is not that we would feel guilty. In fact, I can promise you that's not God's heart for us, but rather that we would feel guilty responsible that's the implications of the story the implications aren't that we would feel guilty maybe you today you feel guilty that you do have some blessings in your life that you do have some resources in mind. maybe you feel guilty thinking I haven't been generous enough maybe you feel I don't know all the reasons that you might feel that way but that's not God's desire for you God's desire isn't for you to walk across the parking lot get in your vehicle drive home and just think about how guilty you are That's not God's best for you. That's not his desire. But his desire is that we as his children, we as those who have been entrusted with what he's given us, that we would feel responsible. That we are responsible to use what we've been given for his glory, to be generous, to be a blessing in this midst of a life that we've been given, that's here one minute and gone. We are responsible for what we do with what we have. We don't need to feel guilty, church, but I do believe it's God's desire that we would feel responsible to do what we can with what we've been given. If you don't feel like you've been given a lot, you don't need to feel guilty, but you still pray, say, Lord, I don't feel like I have a lot, but what would you like me to do? How, How can I invest these resources that you've given me for such a time As this, the overarching question the story asked really is what am I doing with what I've been given? We really don't need to worry today about what we haven't been given. We really don't need to spend a lot of time being anxious or worried about all the things we don't have. We spend enough time doing that, right? It's really not a message for that. For whatever reason, God hasn't entrusted us with it, okay? But what has God given you? Whether you feel like it's much or little, the question is today, what are you doing with what you've been given? Remember, this series asks the question, what does God expect of me? God expects his children, those who claim to follow him, those who claim that he's Lord of their life. God expects us to not be guilty, not feel guilty, but to be responsible for what we've been given. As we close in just a minute, there's a lot of words that you could use to describe our church and a lot of words people might use. I don't know all the words they use. I don't really wanna know all of them, right? But one word I believe is true. I've gotten to be a part of this church now for almost 16 years. And one word that I absolutely believe is true of this church. One word I would use to describe this church is generous. And now if you're new or visiting today, that's not like something we'd put on the sign. We're a generous church. We're not just that to impress people. I'm just telling you, as I've, I've gotten to be a part of this church and be ministered to through this church and gotten to be a part of participating and blessing others in this church, I, I really believe that we're a generous church. I, listen, some of you may think that I preach a message like this and I know who gives what and no, I actually don't. I don't know who gives. I don't know how much anybody gives. Some of you are like, "There." he looked at me a lot when he was preaching today. I, I promise you that's not what a message like this is about. So I don't really know who gives what. But I I get a front row seat as the pastor of this church to just see some of the amazing things God does in and through your generosity. Like in the middle of a global pandemic, funding a brand new campus that in a couple of weeks will celebrate their three-year anniversary, all that God's doing there. It's amazing. Like... In the midst of a capital campaign to raise money for a new campus in Waynesboro, a Spanish-speaking campus, God's doing amazing things there. We pause, and we take a drummer boy offering, and $31,000 is given to meet and bless the needs within our own church and beyond. Like, those kind of things where I don't, I don't see it, I don't know who's doing it, but I just get to see that people in the church love to be generous, In fact, I've often said that if you don't like being generous, you're probably going to be miserable here because you're just surrounded by people that just believe that God God has entrusted them. and, And we're just going to do what God says with what He's given us. We can't worry about what we don't have, but with what we do have, we want to be a blessing. And so, in its simplest form, this is what I want to challenge you to do be a blessing be generous. Don't even think about our church for a minute, okay? This isn't about me and it's not about us. This is about your heart and about wanting God to have your heart. And so today, I want to invite you to live your life in this new year generously. Don't worry about what you don't have. Don't worry about what you can't do. That's not God's desire. Don't worry about feeling guilty, but, but ask and say, Lord, I am responsible for what you've given me. How can I be a blessing? This week, I'm going to challenge you as the band comes, and they're going to help us close. I want to challenge you to do something extra. Now, that, again, doesn't have to do anything with this local church. What would it mean for you to be a blessing to someone in your life that needs it? Somebody who needs you to be generous this week. I don't know who that is, but you do. An organization in our community that needs you to be generous. i do not to tell you what to do, but maybe in response to this message, your heart will just say, God, I want to do something. I want to do something beyond my normal. I want to do something beyond what's even comfortable for me, God, because I just want to be generous. I just want to live my life not saying mine, 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 but I want to live my life and say, God, what would you like me to do? with what I've been entrusted. God, God, what what, what should I do? How can I be generous with what you've entrusted me? And maybe this week, in some small way, you can apply that. In, maybe blessing a neighbor, maybe blessing somebody in your life that you know is going through a hard time, maybe blessing an organization that you believe in and that you love, but in some way, allowing God to move the posture of your heart where sometimes our posture with our stuff is we draw the line, and this is mine, and God, you can have that. And we put everything in kind of neat boxes, and maybe this week in response to a message like this, your heart would just be opening and you'd say, God, I just want to be generous. I just want to be a blessing. Maybe you feel like you have been generous already. Pray and say, God, is, is there any other way that you want me to be generous? Because ultimately, what are the three things that we heard? Ultimately, we're rich. We've been given much. We've been entrusted with much. Implication number two is it's not really ours, is it? Really, it does belong to the master. And implication number three is we, we can't keep it. We can't hoard it for ourselves, but but ultimately we, we can invest it. We can love others. We can serve others with what we've been given. I wanna invite you to stand now as we pray and we prepare to close. God, I pray for the hearts of all those gathered here in this space, all of those watching and gathering online. I pray now for our hearts because that's what this is really about. You want our hearts, God. And so I just, I pray for those in the room that might be feeling all kinds of things in response to a message like this. I pray what we would just hear today is your voice, God. We don't have to worry about what we don't have. We don't have to feel guilty today, God, but you just want, you desire that we would respond in obedience, hearts of generosity. Thank you for the ways that men and women have been generous in and through this local church. And thank you, God, that you're gonna keep inviting us into new spaces, into places, in and beyond this church to love and to serve and to give what you have entrusted to us. So today, God, we hear your call. We hear that question. What what will you do with what you've been given, God? And we respond in obedience. Come and speak to us now as we spend some time praying and seeking you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.
0: Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at C-O-T-N-A-Z dot org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.